Welcome, my pretties. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast of the Miscellaneous Macabre. I'm Haley. And I'm Autumn. And this is Don't You Know? Today we're going to cover the case of Eileen Wuornos, America's first female serial killer. But first, this obviously comes with a little disclaimer. This episode contains violence, sexual assault, all different types of child things. So we're starting off heavy today. Um, Tune out now. It's not for everybody. That's a disclaimer. We're going to go all the way back to February 29, 1956, in Rochester, Michigan. Eileen Carol Pittman was born to 16-year-old Diane Wuornos and 18-year-old Leo Pittman. She was their second child. After about two years of Diane and Leo being married, she filed for divorce um, about right before she gave birth to Eileen. Because of this, Eileen never met her father, enlisted into the Army. So this is after divorce. She yes, filed for after divorce, he enlisted in the army. I do believe so. Okay. When he came back, he was arrested and convicted for the kidnapping and raping of an eight-year-old child. Uh, he later completed suicide in 1960, January. Sometime in 1960, when Eileen was just four years old, she and her brother were abandoned by Diane. Their mother left them with her parents, Lori and her father, Britta Wuornos. Uh, They were both heavy alcoholics. In this home, it was described to be uh, rather neglectful uh, with her grandparents being alcoholics. She does say that her grandmother tried to, you know, do the best she could by the kids, you know, getting them cleaned and trying to feed them in between bouts of being drunk. But her grandfather, um, who she believed was her father, by the way, she wasn't aware that they were her grandparents. Right. They were just raised from the start together. Yeah. She was too young. Her brother might have known because he, w- he would have been about six, but she was raised as them being her parents. So her father, I had mentioned that Eileen grew up thinking that her grandparents were her parents and that her father was known to be a disciplinarian, though I think that's kind of an understatement. During her trial, one of her childhood friends, or one of the neighborhood girls, Michelle Chauvin, would recount an afternoon that she and Eileen were caught skipping school by her her father-grandfather. He demanded that Eileen come into the house and bend over a chair and proceeded to whip her with his belt that he had taken straight from his pants for about five minutes, she says. She says that it was such a brutal beating. You just do it in front of the... Both kids and just... No shame, just out in there, like... Being gross. Yeah. Eileen would claim during her trial and interviews, but then later to not deny that she was molested by her grandfather. You'll notice a lot that Eileen goes back and forth. You can't really get a good handle on her because she'll say one thing and then completely be contrarian to what she said and just say something completely different. She has trust issues. Obviously, this is later on in life. I'm just going to skip around here. and We're just telling uh, a story. Yeah, just telling a story. But this lack of, you know, routine and modeling really broke her psyche, in my opinion. Reading her letters later on, it's creepy and sad. I'm sure. Did you did you read all the letters? I did not read all of them. A lot of them are redundant, the same thing over and over again. They're very sad, very confusing. They're they're hard to follow. This was also 
the Dear Don, and I'll have to find the author again. I know I have it written down somewhere, but... In the show notes. Yeah. I will mention everything that I, you know, read and watched throughout the research. But yes, she had a, a condensed version. A lot of Eileen's letters were, you know, day-to-day activities that she went through in prison. A lot of it was her opinions on how she was used and overglorified to sell movies and, you know, shame and media by her lawyer. Because there is many oh yeah documentaries about this case it's very many documentaries very many movies um charlize theron played eileen wernos in monster i think the movie's titled that's actually watching that is what like yeah stuck eileen in my brain all these years later i mean also if you look up the picture quite memorable face yes a very memorable face she was very pretty she was uh in her prime a hard life of you know, sex work and alcoholism. We'll do that. And, and paranoia. The str- I, She she lived a hard life, and it all started with a long childhood of abuse, abandonment, and neglect. Doesn't set you up for the best life. Really not getting those good, strong foundations. Yeah. And you know, speaking of foundations, you know, she was she was pretty broken. She began trading sexual acts for like cigarettes and candy bars around about the age of nine. Which, like, think about where a nine-year-old playing with Barbies that. and learning mm-hmm. how to put pancakes together with Ma and not smoking and having sex. That's, At least it shouldn't be. You really, really in a perfect world. When Eileen was eleven, she learned that Lori and Britta were not her biological parents, and this kind of really sent her into a spiral. I mean, she was already misbehaving, but this she was sneaking out. She was skipping school. Uh, a lot of the kids were doing it back then. This neighborhood didn't really seem like many of the parents were keeping an eye. A lot of the children were... Free roam. Free, free, yeah, they were definitely some free roam children. Smoking, drinking, popping pills. Some of them were, this is all alleged, you know, their, their own recounts. Partying way too early for them. Uh, absolutely. Doing adult things in children ages. Yeah, a horrible time. Nobody Absolutely. was. It does not attention. set you up good. No, and it was always, well, that's not my business, you know. The sixties, the fifties, sixties. It is. It is. You see a child uh, out there. I mean, go- going back to the neighborhood. Yes, it was. Uh, it it does seem that there was a band of misfit children not getting the proper care that they needed. So as I said, um, at eleven, when she learned that her parents were her grandparents, and in fact that she was left by her mother, she spiraled even further into. Her misbehavior, skipping school, doing drugs, trading sexual acts for snacks and and cigarettes, anything to just keep her mind off alcohol being one of the biggest ones. Many of the neighborhood boys would take advantage of her only to later condemn her for the same acts that they engaged in. They would call her awful names, just just awful names. Um, One such witness, Jerry Moss, at her trial would testify to the abuse that she would endure by him and some of the other children. He and Eileen had a sexual relationship, but Eileen wanted to be more than that with him. You know, she was like, I want to be boyfriend and girlfriend. Holding here doing, she knows it, She knows it's an intimate act. It's not something, she, she uses it for currency. Yeah, but she, yeah, she wanted that love. She wanted somebody to actually love her for a while. Yeah, just anything. She never 
unfortunately never found it. He testified that he would abuse her, calling her awful names. He refused to have a public relationship with her. He would have no problem engaging in sexual acts with her, but would call. But of course not, because once you're out on the street, bye. Yeah. But also, you got to give me my stuff at the end of the night. Exactly. And it was an open secret. Like I said, many of the neighborhood boys took advantage of Eileen. He would tell and this is Jerry Moss I'm still speaking of, he would tell Eileen to get the fuck out of his face and to go fucking somewhere else. That's a quote. That is such a beautiful person that you should have in your life to speak to you like that. Yeah, I don't know what kind of man he turned out to be, but I'm not... That was clear sarcasm. I don't think anybody should speak to anyone like that. Well, absolutely. But also, to admit that, you have to have some self-awareness over yourself. So I would hope that in the future he has grown and he has been I don't know, at the trial, and this might just be me and uh, maybe I'm biased, but he seemed kind of smug at the trial. Bruce. I don't know. Once I, trash, always trash. Change my mind. <laughs> and that's whoever Fuck watches, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but you, that's you, just kind of how I you saw. You are forever trash. It, it, maybe it was a nervous kind. I don't know. I'm, I'm no body reader. I just, that's what I felt. Not my a vibe. good man. Yeah. He would recount that the names he called her, he would call her a bitch. He would call her ugly. He would call her a pig. If she was following behind him and his group of friends, he would turn around and throw rocks at her. Pigs are incredibly clean. So thank you for the compliment. Absolutely. And they're so they cute when they're piglets. They I had a pig once. Did I ever tell you that? I don't think I knew that. Oh, shit, girl. Really? Wasn't it a teacup pig? No, it wasn't a teacup pig. He was a potbelly pig. Oh, maybe yeah, I yeah. That. He was a black potbelly pig. And I don't know. Do you want me to tell you a story later? Yeah, probably. That we'll way get into it later. It. Yeah. But yeah, maybe, I had a pig. Maybe one day we'll make a Patreon and uh, AMA and put put that story <laughs> of uh, Haley's pop belly pig. But no, I didn't know that. You learn something new about your sisters every day. Yeah, that was cute. Nice. So Eileen was not a pot belly pig. She was a, a human child, and she was treated horribly, and everyone turned a blind eye. He would tell her to, as I said, get the fuck away from him and to go home. He'd say this because he didn't want to be associated with her because even though they were all engaging in the open secret of Eileen Wuornos, they would all shame her and condemn her, say awful things. Another neighborhood boy from her youth, um, a one Danny Colwell, was another neighborhood boy. If he... we say any names wrong, just politely correct us on pronunciation. I'm not saying that Haley said names wrong, but... I'm going to say it as I read it. It's cool. It, there's not no everybody's need perfect. for hate. <laughs> I mean, calm down. I thrive on hate. Okay, if you want to hate me, hate. Danny, call, Danny recalls at the trial that he had gone up to a, uh, a ramshackle cabin that they all called the fort to see who was hanging out. Once he got up there, he found that Eileen was with her brother Keith and another boy that he calls Mark. And he claims that they were all having sex with Eileen. Now, mind you, he claims that her brother was having sex with her. Obviously, Eileen denies this. At her trial, she, you know, she's like, no, no, judge. He's committing perjury. That never happened. And in my opinion, you can see the embarrassment. It, it feels like, again, I could just be reading into the story the way I want it to she does deny this. Nobody nobody else ever confirms it. 
it's a complete allegation by the one Danny. Who knows? It was a broken time. So. Aline says no. This dude says yes. I'm going to go, go with Eileen. I mean, that's her, her truth. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> we got to go with what she says. Okay, so he sees this, right? And instead of sounding the alarm, telling them to get off of her, that's gross at the very least. It's your brother. Mm-hmm. He decided to lose his virginity. And poor Eileen was about 13 or 14 at this encounter, I do believe. And this is? Cardwell? Uh, Colwell. Yeah, Colwell. Danny Colwell. Okay. His recant of losing his virginity. <clears throat> it was... Yeah. So, we're going to move on from that, because that hurts my heart and makes me angry. Oh, uh, yeah, I note here that he states it pretty nonchalantly. I don't know how being on a big trial like that's going to make anybody react, but everyone that testified at her trial seemed so dis- dissociated from the past. And, and granted, it's been 30, 40 years at this point. So they were different people. But it was just, it was a hard watch to hear firsthand accounts of awful things that happened. Getting back to her early life, at approximately 13, Eileen was attending a gathering at the local alleged pedophile's house. Chief could not find his real name in my quick research here, but everybody in the neighborhood called him Chief. He was either an acquaintance or a friend of her grandfather's, a man in his late 50s, early 60s. And this is speculated to be the father of Eileen's child. Oh. That he either took advantage of her or outright raped her at one of these gatherings. We don't have any definitive evidence of this. Nobody's ever contacted, and rightfully so, the child of Eileen Wernos. Best life, I hope. Hopefully. So we don't we don't know who the father is, but that's the the alleged pedophile. When she revealed that she was pregnant to her parents, they sent her to a home for unwed mothers to give birth. She, so she did. She named her son Keith. Claims that she never even got to hold him. She's only named him Keith in her heart, and she thinks about him often. That's a good name. It, it's after Keith. her brother. That's if if mind you, her brother was allegedly raping her. If. Her statement is true, which I will go off of her statement. And she That's did, true. Yes. She did not say that he engaged in those activities. That is a very sweet, soul-filling thing. Yes. He was the only constant in her life. Yeah. And I want to I want to hope that he that, wasn't also yeah, abusing her. That those actions were... Eileen was speaking <clears throat> the truth, and that those were not her brother. Yes. After giving birth... Eileen was reluctantly welcomed back home. Her mother was also sick at this time with liver cancer, succumbing to her lifelong abuse of alcohol. It'll During, get you. Yeah, it will. It does not let anyone go. Drink moderately after the age of 21. Drink responsibly. During this period in her life, Eileen continued to run away and subject herself to a hard lifestyle. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the 14-year-old that just gave birth to her alleged rape child probably had postpartum depression and is going to self-medicate. There would be some issue mentally. I don't really see how you'd get past that one. That's rather hard. I mean, I was just giving up my Barbie dolls at 14. Yeah. So, or maybe 13. Either way. That's 
you're supposed to be worried about your first period, not a baby, and in my personal opinion, not a baby, and in my personal opinion, not having to sex work. And that she went right back to sex work to get food, attention, obviously, tension at home made it very hard for her to even get what little attention from her mother that she was getting seen as she was going through cancer eventually she did die and her father was obviously distraught began drinking even more heavily and soon kicked Eileen out of the house whilst blaming her for or blaming her wild behavior for killing her mother it wasn't the alcohol you were a wild child I mean if we want to just pile on the mental and all the other types of abuse. Mental sure. emotional abuse of that. If that's what you want to say there, sir, but I'm sure it wasn't just that. I'm I'm maybe there was some depression. I'm not going to just I didn't uh, I wasn't able to find a whole lot on Lori and Britta and their past lives and how they grew up and what led to their self medicating through alcohol. But they grew up around the twenties and thirties, so I'm yeah. going to go out on a limit and depression assume and it was probably tough itself we're going maybe i don't know it's possible like i said i didn't find a whole lot on i could probably try to dig down more that's just my own speculation maybe that's why the mother wasn't so intensive because she knew exactly what was happening and she just let it go at least it's not happening to me yeah Yeah, she very well could have been molested by her father too and it's like well or maybe she was just too drunk to notice maybe that's also possible after his mother after her mother's death he kicked out Eileen, again, blaming her for her her wild behavior for killing her mother. So Eileen spent the next two years being homeless and sleeping in the woods. Mind you, she's in Michigan, so that shit's cold. She resorted to selling her body for food, warmth, and companionship. I mean, she's about 15, 16 around this time. So she's been doing it for six, seven years. Yeah. This is how she Can't knows. even remember a time. Like, yeah. I barely remember being nine yeah. and anything before that snippets so her whole life all she's known is being used and, and abused this is, this is life this is what you do this is whatever this is does. love yeah her her whole love map is completely abuse this begins her lifelong marathon of running from johnny law she would be arrested time and time again for numerous crimes duis robbery assault public intoxication illegal discharge of a firearm needless to say eileen wasn't known for being shy she was loud and aggressive, often drunk, and devil-may-care attitude. At this point, it was Eileen against the world. Right. She wasn't backing down anymore. If, she, if someone was going to get hit, she was going to be the punch. Right. This is Eileen. Eileen is here, and she is going to be known. Yes. And, and she did make herself known. After two years of being homeless in Michigan, she decided that she needed to get away from the harsh winters. And she started hitchhiking, making her way down to Florida. This is when she met her first husband, 69-year-old Louis Gratz. And she is how old? 17, 18, somewhere about this point. Some would say pedophile, and I would I will be in that group. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that that is a very large age difference, and in some states that age of 17 is consent. In some states, it's 18, I believe. Or is it all states 18? Uh, no, most states are... Some are 16, some are 17, some are 18. So, I guess if you're legally consenting, 
Um, she was old enough to get married. I just, I just think that's a very. Large I don't age think group. this was the old, the first old. I mean, hitchhiking on her way down to Florida, she probably had sex with many older men. Probably, yeah. His age and younger. I'm just that's just a little uh, large in my opinion. It is. Oh yeah, in a normal situation, I would definitely be grossed out. I try not to judge people, but considering that she was just around the age of consent, it, it does... And he didn't know her lifestyle, so it's yeah. not like he's like, oh, I mean, maybe he did. She doesn't really speak, at least what, from what I've read and listened to, doesn't really speak on their relationship much. Probably because she got an order of protection against her for hitting him with his own cane. Beating him with his own cane. Very abusive all over him. There's just so much abuse. Not long after that, he decided to annul the marriage, surprisingly. Order and protection usually leads yeah. to divorce. Yeah, I don't I don't see uh, where a healthy relationship would be. Well, <laughs> <laughs> not that being a newly married woman really stopped her from the boozing and the fighting, but it this w- just gave her more. It seemed like it gave her security, but also freedom. She was probably scared of security. Someone who wanted to love her tenderly, she's going to look at that and go, I don't trust that. No, not in that sense. I meant, like, I have a home to go back to. I have a shower I can go shower in. Someone who might put food on the table. That's too much control, though. Eileen's used to freedom to Mm -hmm. do whatever she wants. I guess that is true. I don't know. Yeah. You're telling me the story. I'm just spitting out my ideas. No, that's perfectly, yeah. I I love the riff and the banter. But Eileen's just... A secure home, it's not going to be... When you're forged in traumatic situations, your brain's not going to allow you to look at security as comfort. Mm, okay. Security is going to make you itch. And always looking for a fight. Yeah. Probably, I mean, obviously drunk all the time. I don't know about you. Well, obviously, I, yeah, I do you know about you because you, you don't drink. I don't drink. But sometimes people fight when they're drunk. They get pissy. I, like, I have... Yeah, I witnessed it at least. So we got a runner. <laughs> got a runner. At this point, she was free to do as she wished. No longer married, Island continued her waltz with crime. She was arrested all over the place for everything, up until she returned to Michigan for a brief time because her brother was suffering from esophageal cancer that he later succumbed to. At his death, she was awarded $10,000 and pretty much spent all of that in about two months on a car that she would later crash. This girl crashed a lot of cars, and that eventually leads to her downfall. If she Dang. had just learned how to drive. <laughs> if she had only known. Maybe maybe take your foot off the pedal and the beer out your hand. But that's neither here nor there. Girl crashed a lot of cars. In 1986, I'm going to throw a quote at you, all the way from 1986. The quote. It was love beyond imaginable. Earthly words cannot describe how I felt about Tyria. Eileen said that about the woman she met in 1986. 1986. Just for was good measure. Was it in 1986? Somewhere about that time. Okay. 86, 85, 87. <laughs> 30-year-old Eileen would meet 24-year-old Tyria Moore. The woman she said she loved until the very end. They wasted no time in moving in together. At that time, Tyria was working as a motel maid and Eileen was supporting them through sex work. Style of alcohol and crime. Because of this, 
Eileen would have to go out and resort to sex work more often to meet Tyria's needs. Tyria loved to shop. She loved to drink. She loved to go out to the bar. Eileen said that they would match drink for drink. Aww. Yes. She, Eileen was in love with this woman. It was at first a sexual relationship, a girlfriend-girlfriend relationship, romantic. And later, Eileen says that it came to be less sexual and romantic and more companion. Yeah. But she would still do everything. I mean, like I said, she loved this woman until the very end, and it turns out that this woman was her very end. But Eileen needed to come to an end, so. Well, when you murder. Yeah. Can't can't keep that freight train going. Gotta stop it somewhere. Eileen says that Tyria would drink up all the money, so she would have to go out more often and that she was making good money often Tyria would not work or if she did it would be for a few months at a time Eileen would say that Tyria was never really interested in anything that happened to Eileen out on the road Eileen would want to come home and and talk and Tyria would be busy watching tv or you know getting dressed to go out to the bars never really engaging Eileen in anything more than an ATM she used the love as a pin number so even though Eileen was safe and secure, she was still having to put herself in harm's way to right. sustain love. In Eileen's early encounters, she says that she didn't carry a gun, but as time goes on, she wanted to carry a gun for self-defense. Defense? Self-defense. <laughs> self-defense. But never had any intention of using it. It was simply for if things went sideways. Though loaded, there was, at first, had no premeditation to commit murder, as she states. We're going to move on into Eileen becoming America's first female serial killer. On November 30th, in 1989, on I-14, beneath the 175 overpass, Richard Mallory would meet Eileen. He gave her a ride into Dayton, where they discussed various things, such as politics, religion, his video store, and even if Eileen knew of any gals that wanted to star in a homemade pornographic movie. She says that it was late, that she was off the clock, so to speak, and that she was not offering Richard anything more than conversation and that he at first had not asked for anything. She was not a sex worker at this point. She was just a hitchhiker wanting to go home. Right. It was late. It was off the clock. The conversation does eventually move into offering Eileen a drink. Never turns it down, so she... He makes her a screwdriver, I do think she says, and offered her some marijuana, but she didn't ever know she didn't smoke marijuana or do pills, she says. It's just strictly alcohol. So they were drinking and driving and talking before he propositioned her for sex. At first, she wasn't down for it. She's like, no, I'm off the clock. I'm tired. just want to get home. want to go see my girl. So they keep talking. They keep driving. And eventually, he does whittle her down into pulling over. It's like, I might as well. It's yeah. a ride, make a few extra dollars. As long as he paid her, I guess. Well, he didn't pay her. So <sighs> they never went through with it because as they're getting naked, he's like, oh, by the way, I don't have any money. So we're just going to do it anyway. And she's like, no, sir, that's I'm not screwing you to screw. I'm this a was a business tra- transaction. This pisses him off. So he takes what he didn't pay for, though she says that it never happened. At first, she does claim that she killed him because he raped her. 
And in her interview, she recounts a brutal rape, saying that he had tied her to the steering wheel and that he had assaulted her in her mouth, her vagina, her anus, just being so rough about it, saying such awful, nasty things to her. And after he was done, he went and washed himself off. He had opened her, opened his trunk. She says that he had some two liters of water and soap that he cleaned himself up with and then brought a bottle of rubbing alcohol and like an eyedropper, like an, a Visine yeah. bottle. And he said, what's in this? Gesturing to the large bottle of rubbing alcohol is also in this and proceeded to squirt rubbing alcohol into every orifice the poor woman had. This yeah. was at her interview. Yep. She does later claim on camera that that never happened. But when she thinks the camera's off in her, what's it, Nick, what's the documentary man's name? Nick uh, Bloom, Bloomfield? I'll link his documentary in the show notes because I did get a lot of my information from there. When she thinks he, she's off camera, she says, yes, that it did happen, but she doesn't want to have any of her lawyers try to appeal it based on anything else or overturn any convictions because she just wants to die at this point. Eileen has always wanted to die. By the age of 22, she had attempted suicide six times. Very sad life might bring that on someone, yeah. Yeah, just wanting to end it. And then, I don't want to say failing, but not completing six times. That's got to morph your psyche into like, well, I guess this is just what I'm meant for. Right. We're just going to keep on keeping on. I mean, she shot herself in the stomach with a shotgun. So she, she tried. That's a force of nature. Yeah, she was definitely She's, sad and needed to help. Yeah, but we don't talk about those things. Talking about the alleged rape. She managed to get herself off of the steering wheel or get away from him. I don't quite remember how she said she got off the steering wheel, but when she did... She immediately grabbed the, oh, I didn't write, oh, a twenty-two pistol. She was able to grab the twenty-two pistol and shot him several times, leaving his body to be found in a wooded area in Volusia County. That was the first murder, Richard Mallory. We're going to jump back to her trial here, and the judge awarded the prosecution to look into her past criminal history to create a pattern of violent behavior, yeah. but would not do the same for Richard Mallory who was also tried for a crime of rape. Before he was murdered? Before he was murdered, okay. yes. You don't tend to rape people after being oh, murdered. Well, no, I know that. I don't know. There was just some confusion in my mind. Like, was he currently in process of being yeah. prosecuted for it? No, yeah. I do believe before he was murdered that he had already been incarcerated for but rape they previously, too. They but they would not allow the that to be used as evidence of his violent behavior. Oh, okay, I see what you're, in her In her trial, they wouldn't allow his information to be yes. used like that. Okay. It wasn't pertinent okay. to the trial. Okay, I get it now. She would later go on, and this is all the span of a year. That's why I say it seems more like spree killer than serial killer to me. Yes, the MO is the same, but shooting a man with a gun as a sex worker is probably going to be your best bet yeah. at succeeding in my opinion, I do believe the first one was self-defense and that just broke her and it was yeah. easier to... Because she didn't kill every man she had a sexual encounter with. It just so yeah. happened to be these ones leading me to think maybe they were particularly violent. Yeah. 
Maybe not. Maybe she did just break and her psyche was like, I'm just going to kill him now. Maybe she had just gone through so much trauma at that point where her mind just completely just shut down. She was definitely, definitely removed from reality. She would later go on to murder David A. Spears in May of 1990. His body was found along US-19 in Citrus County. He was shot six times with a twenty-two pistol at only 47 years old. I did try to look up more into the lives of her victims so that I could make them a more prominent aspect of the story. I do sympathize with Eileen as a child. I do see how there was no hope for her and there was no other outcome for her than this. I'm not saying I condone it, just that I understand. So this is Eileen heavy with information. It just, I don't know, I'm still figuring out where to look. So this is about David and Richard and Charles and Peter and Troy and Walter. It is, it is about the victims. I just There's I not know. much information there, on the victims. There unfortunately isn't. They were, but nobody deserves to be shot for soliciting sex work. I'm in the opinion that sex work should be regulated and legal. Yeah. You know. It's the oldest profession in the world. As long as it's clean, safe, and consensual. That's what I'm saying. End of age. End of I'm age. That, like End 21 age. and older, and that obviously includes the sex work on this, like 20, 25 and older. Your brain's all nice <laughs> and formed. She would go on to take the life of Charles E. Karskadon? Karskadon? Something, something around those times? On May 31st, 1990. His remains were found in Pasco County on June 6th. He had been shot nine times with a twenty-two pistol and wrapped in an electric blanket and was badly decomposing. In this case, there are witnesses that say they saw Eileen with his car and punning a gun that... Gone. Hmm. That's not how we pronounce that. that. Are you sure? <laughs> punning a gun identified as belonging to Charles. He was only 40 years old and he was a rodeo worker. Rodeo. In late June of 1990, Peter Sims left his family in Jupiter, Florida for a trip to Arkansas. Unfortunately, his body has never been found. There are witnesses that claim they see they saw Tyria and Eileen abandoning his car on July 4th. Eileen's palm print was later discovered in the car. Peter devoted much of his time to being a Christian outreach ministry. He was also a retired sea merchant. Troy Eugene Burris was a sausage salesman from Ocala, Florida. He was only 50 years old when he was reported missing on July 31st. His body was discovered on August 4th in a wooded area along State Road 19 in Marion County. He had been shot twice. Charles Richard Humphreys was a retired U.S. Air Force major and former state child abuse investigator and a former chief of police. His murder took place on September 11th, 1990. His body was found a day later in Marion County. He was fully clothed and had been shot seven times in the head and torso. He was found in Suwannee County. He was only 56 years old. And our final victim... Walter Gino Antonio was a busy 62-year-old truck driver, security guard, and reserve police officer. On November 19, 1990, his remains were found near a remote logging road in Dixie County. He had been shot four times. Almost a week later, his car was discovered in Brevard County, all of them being crashed and abandoned. The palm print in Peter Sims' car was, I do believe, what led to Eileen's arrest on July 4th, 1990. Or no, why did I even say that? That was evidence in it obviously, but what led to her arrest was the cops giving Tyria immunity from prosecution. She claimed that she knew nothing of the murders. Mm. 
but Eileen says otherwise. That when she came home the night of Richard Mallory's murder, she tried, she was covered in blood and traumatized and tried to talk to Tyree about it, who said, I don't want to know anything about it. Just clean it up. You know, very nonchalant, wanted nothing to do about it. But as it was said, witnesses saw both of them abandoning a, a, a murder victim's car. So whether Tyria knew or was involved is debatable. What's not debatable is she's the one that got Eileen caught. She called Eileen, knowing that Tyria was the love of her life, and over a series of phone calls, convinced Eileen to confess, confess to the murders, which is obviously a good thing. Yeah. I don't think she would have stopped. She definitely would have become a serial killer as time went on. Definitely seemed that way. This, there were a lot of serial killers going on at yeah, this time. I mean, we have her killing Johns and then Johns killing yeah. sex workers. Yep. Ed Kemp, Samuel Little in the seventies. You know, they're like all the big ones. They're just yeah. It's if there's a documentary time. about it, it's probably in the eighties. Like a like a hit Netflix show. Oh, probably. The 70s are good. Well, you know like what? Dahmer just came out. Ted Bundy. He had a big Ugh. one. Like all the big name serial killers. The handsome Overrated. man. They were ugly as fuck. Some ladies thought they were cutesy. I didn't think so. We all make poor choices. Zach Efron did a good job, I thought. But also, I'm not a good judge Have on shows. Have you seen that man's chin lately? Oh, God. Hollywood is just... In an array. And um, Hollywood needs to go down. Uh, yeah, Hollywood, yeah. It's it, they have some good murders. They have some good murders though. They got some good murder stories. I mean not like good, like that's <laughs> obviously good, but like no murder stories deep, are good, but also tell me more. They have deep drama, deep just it's like a show always. Always to protect the ego in the bank account. Anyway. Hollywood pedophilia. Eileen was promptly arrested after her confessions. This is where she would be interviewed and claimed that Richard Mallory raped her, and that's what prompted her to kill him, and that all of them in some way were violent or refusing to pay. She would later recount all of this, saying that they were good men, that she didn't deserve, or not deserve, but she shouldn't have killed them, they didn't deserve that. Which is good, coming up to your end of life. Uh, yeah. You know. Just forgave Forgive, forget, I, I don't know. Like I said, she pleaded no contest to the murders of Charles Richard Humphreys, Troy Eugene Burris, and David Andrew Spears, claiming that she wanted to get right with God. She was given seven life sentences for the murders. She would live on death row in Florida Department of Corrections, Broward Correctional Institution for the next 10 years before being transferred to Florida State Prison for death by lethal injection on October 9th, 2002. One thing that I've yet to mention is that during her arrest and trial, an old childhood friend, her childhood friend Dawn, was the only one from her past that ever tried to look out for her in any way that she could. Obviously, being a child for herself, there wasn't much she could do for her. But in Eileen's last 10 years, Dawn was really a lighthouse in the dark for Eileen. They wrote hundreds of letters back and forth corresponding about everything Eileen had to get off her chest 
When Eileen was executed by lethal injection, she willed her body, or not her body, but her ashes to Don, who then spread them on her property, loving Eileen to the very end. The one and only person that ever loved Eileen for when who she, she was. When she said ride or up. die. She, she was meant ride or die. Not in the way that she would become a partner in crime. No. Obviously, but yeah, you stick by your your stick she by under, your girl. Yeah, she stuck by. She's like, it's not right, but I understand. Yeah. Especially so, just friends friends no different. Just friends and it it I thank you, Don. We all need someone. There's so much more to this case that I've read and listened to. I could go on and on and on and on. Like I said, Eileen, her first lawyer was fired because she, you know, there was a conspiracy to sell her story. You know, he wanted to make her famous. That's why they touted it. That's why they, she says, that's why they let her kill for so long that they knew she was killing these men. She wasn't being subtle about it wasn't very good at hiding evidence. They knew who it was, and they let her go on to become a serial killer so that they could get movie rights and make money off of her. This is an outlandish claim that is a pretty big conspiracy, but I got my tinfoil hat on. So Steve Glazer, her first lawyer, was fired because he did no good for her as a defense attorney. And like I could just go on and on. I could. There's podcasts that have done whole seasons. I'm going to link them. Okay, not me, because I'm just the voice here. The wonderful <laughs> brains behind the project is going to link them in the show notes, all of the documentaries, all of the websites that I read on. Please go out and listen to these more professional podcasts, because it is a tragic story that soothes the little fascination for true crime we all have living inside of us. Yeah. We just love the miscellaneous macabre. That's what it is. It's the case of Eileen Nuarnos, don't you know? Don't you know? Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Don't You Know Pod, I believe. I think that's the only place we're at right now because because beginners, no Facebook, no Twitter. Yeah, send us DMs on how you think we can improve, um, whether it be research help or editing help or what you think we could do better. I mean, constructive criticism. Yeah. Send uh, the hate too. I'll eat it. It's cool. If that's what you want to do, that's your prerogative. This is our first shot, and it's a. It is what it is. 